Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today is a special and different episode of The Stacks. It is part two of my discussion about White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo with the ladies of The Lady Gang. If you missed part one, that's because it's over on The Lady Gang feed and came out yesterday. To find that episode, there is a link in the show notes, or you can search Lady Gang wherever you get your podcasts. Everything we talked about on yesterday's episode and everything we will talk about today can be found in the link in the show notes. Reminder, if you're into audiobooks, you've got to check out Libro FM. Libro FM is an audiobook company where you can purchase your audiobooks directly from your local bookstore. So you head to Libro.fm and use the code THESTACKS at checkout. You'll get three books for the price of one. It's super easy and your favorite bookseller will thank you. If you're looking for ways you can help amplify the stacks and support the work we do here, you can always shop through the link in the show notes. You can subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can use any of the stacks codes when you shop with our partners, and you can follow us on social media. If you want to be part of our monthly virtual book club and earn other perks, head over to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. I want to give a quick shout out to some of our newest patrons. Thank you so much to Dana Johnson, Amy Herring, Nancy Wright, Nikki, Rochelle, Jen, Laura, Mary Morgan, Allison Sajothan, and Katie Bull. Remember, we will be reading Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe for the Stacks Book Club on June 24th with our guest, Emma Copley-Eisenberg. Okay, that was a lot, but now it's time for part two of our discussion of White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo with our lovely guests, Kelty Knight, Becca Tobin, and Jack Vanek, aka the ladies of the Lady Gang. Let's go. I'm so excited today to be here on the Stacks doing kind of something that we've never done before, which is a non-official Stacks book club pick because we joined forces with my friends at the Lady Gang, Kelty Knight, Becca Tobin, and Jack Vanek. And before we get into White Fragility, I just have to say this because they're not going to say it, but someone had to say it. They just made the New York Times bestseller list with their book, Act Like a Lady. And that's exciting. And Kelsey cried, which duh, but that's exciting. And what I want to say also is that I actually have an episode with the lady gang that we recorded before all of this. And they graciously said, you don't actually have to do that. And so instead we decided to do this. So there is a chance that maybe down the road, I'll air that episode so you guys can hear it because it is a great conversation. It's totally not appropriate for this moment. So instead we're going to do some heavy lifting um, about unpacking some white fragility, but I just wanted to give them a little bit of love because they 
they can't do it themselves because that would be very tone deaf, but they made the bestseller list. So what the fuck? Um, so ladies, welcome, Thanks. welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks, Hi. So today we're doing part two of our white fragility conversation. If you didn't catch it yesterday over on the Lady Gang's podcast feed, search the Lady Gang wherever you got your podcast. Um, we did a whole episode, part one, all about white fragility. Today's part two is going to be more specifically about the ways that white fragility manifests and some tips that I have for you guys, ladies of the Lady Gang, white women in general, white men in general, white people in general, how you can be doing better by this work. So I have highly encourage you to go listen to yesterday's episode before you dive in here because we talked a lot about history and stuff yesterday. And if you're new here, I'm going to do my own shameless plug because this is something I'm working on as a black woman, which is please subscribe to this podcast if you're new here. Please rate this podcast if you're new here. Please write a review. Please show up for me and the work that I'm doing right now for all of you, because the truth is I actually don't have to talk about racism publicly if I don't want to. And I've chosen to do this work. So if you're here and you like what you're hearing, a really nice thing that you can do for me and a thing that is fair and equitable is to do those tiny, tiny things that are completely free and actually mean the world to me and the work that I'm doing. So that's my plug. That's hard for me to say, but it's true. Yes, girl. Yes. Now let's get to work. So, oh, this is the other thing I should say. We talked about this yesterday. It still holds true. We're asking for grace for all four of us in this conversation, the ladies of the lady gang, they're white ladies. Some of this is very new for them. Um, and I'm sure it's new for some of you. I'm a black woman. I don't speak for all black women. I hold a lot of privilege. I uphold privilege when it comes to the color of my skin, the fairness of my skin, the fact that I'm heterosexual, the fact that I'm cisgender. We all hold a lot of privilege and we're doing the best that we can. And none of our opinions should be used against us or anyone else in situation. So if I ever find out that someone said, well, Tracy said this was okay, to another black person, I will find you and I will wag my finger in your face. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. And also the other thing I want to say to my listeners, people who listen to me a lot and have been doing this work with me for over two years now, some of this might be redundant, but the truth is we all need to go back to the beginning and realize what we're working on. So if you're new here, welcome. If you've been here for a long time, thank you for coming. I hope that I can do my listeners justice in the work that we've been doing for the last two years or so. So we're going to get started. The book we're talking about is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. It is a book. I'll tell everyone the definition of white fragility again, just in case you missed it, but you should go back and listen. But the definition of white fragility, as I've kind of put it together, is discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. So basically, it's when someone calls you out for doing something that is racist or race-related or racially insensitive, and then you freak out and feel uncomfortable and tell them that wasn't your intention. That's why fragility in a nutshell. And today we're going to talk about some of the bad behavior that we've all seen and or perpetuated. And then I got some solutions. So I don't know if you guys want to start, if you guys have any particular bad behaviors you want to ask about or things that you're like, why can't I do this? Or why shouldn't I say that? I mean, I would, oh, sorry. (laughs) We're like, who's first? I'm like, I'm so eager because I have had, I should read this book five times, memorize it and like read it backwards. If you guys look at my book, by the way, I know Jack's book is covered in stickies. Covered, highlighted. I mean, the book, there's a lot. There's a lot in that book, especially from a privileged white person that hasn't really confronted their privilege before. I mean, it's a lot to take in and it's a lot to digest, but I mean, it was one of the best reads that I've ever read in my entire life, but that's not what I'm talking about. 
I'll explain my, uh, my recent experience with my own white fragility. And this happened a couple weeks ago and it was, um, right after George Floyd's murder, I made a post in our lady gang Facebook group. Mm. And I was like, you know what? We need to show up for our black lady gangers. We need to be better allies. So I made a post and in my post I wrote, you know, we wanted to check in. How can we be better allies to you? How can we use our platform for our black lady gangers? And immediately the first couple of comments that I got on the post were, um, saying that it is not their responsibility to educate us and to help us become better, better black allies. And my very, very first emotion in reading these comments was defensiveness. It was embarrassment and it was emotional withdrawal, withdrawnness, I guess, withdrawal. withdrawal. And, um, because my, of course I was like, my intention was good. I'm trying to like help be a better black ally or uh, ally to our black listeners And I was completely defensive. And that's when my white fragility kicked in because my ignorance as a white privileged person did not even realize or understand that it is my own responsibility to educate myself and to do the work myself and not put the emotional toll and the work on to our black community. So that was a huge learning experience for me. It wasn't even three weeks ago. So um, it's like a very humbling moment. Yeah. I mean, I think I have been um, lucky, I guess, in a way, because a lot of what's going on has boosted the work that I do on the podcast and the work that I do. And I do want to say really quickly before I say how lucky I've been that I, it is not lost on me that the success that I found recently comes on the backs of people who have been murdered, right? Like it's not lost on me that the reason we're having this conversation is because people are being murdered. And like, and I grapple with that every single day, every night when I go to sleep, I think about, wow, I've gotten all these new followers. And, and it's because I am capitalizing, if you will, on, and that's not my intention, but that is the impact, right? So like, I just, I do want to acknowledge that that's not lost on me and that that's something that is very hard for me to kind of, um, to grapple with as a person who is involved in social justice work, et cetera. But to what you're talking about, Jack, um, I've been getting so many people asking me to teach them something. And sometimes it's couched in, I know that this is, um, I know that you don't have to do this, but will you explain this to me? And that's the same as just asking, right? So like, if you're going to ask someone, ask them, but here, here are kind of like my tips around this. Um, the first tip is that do the work as much of it as you can before, right? Like I'm not, I don't think that any black person is not, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I'm not ever telling any white person that I won't help you or work with you or educate you in some way, but like you need to come to the table with some information. Um, I'll use an example from my life kind of, my husband is a doctor and he talks about a lot of things that I don't understand, right? Like a lot of his medical conversations I don't get. And sometimes he'll be telling me something and I'll go totally over my head. And I will ask him to explain it to me. So like, yes, there are things that I don't understand. And even when I Google them, I still don't understand. But you need to come with specific questions. It can't just be, why is this bad? Yeah. Right? Or like, why is this racist? Like, you need to go Google that. You need to go do that. But if you want to talk about the nuance of this response, this wording versus that wording, and you have a Black friend or in some cases, depending on the situation, a friend that is of a different ethnicity, right? Um, You know, 
go to them and ask them, but ask them specific questions. Just saying, how can I help? That's not helpful. That's actually exhausting for me. But if you come to me and you say, hey, I've been thinking a lot about X, Y, and Z. I, I saw that there was this whole line of thinking from, you know, from Nell Irvin Painter, a PhD in racial studies, and I was reading some of her work, and this idea of whiteness as X, Y, and Z came up. Do you have ideas on that? And if that's really your friend, like, yeah, they might engage that conversation. They might not know, right? Like they might say, I don't know, and I can't help you. And you have to be okay with that. But if you just come to me and say, how is this racist? Like, I don't know, Google it. Like, it's not hard. This isn't hard, right? Like some of the stuff is complicated and some of the stuff is super easy. Um, so trying to figure out as much as you can on your own and then going to your trusted friends of color or black friends, depending on what the situation is, I think that that can be okay. I also think if you're asking for someone to do the work for you, you've got to understand that we speak racism fluently right? And you are just getting your vocab words. So you've got to be okay somewhat with someone telling you what they know in the way that they know how to say it without getting upset, right? If I turn to you and I say, Becca, that thing that you said is racist, you can't just shut down, right? Like don't come to me and then get mad at me for telling you what you asked about because the truth is you're not going to like it. And a lot of the reasons why black people don't want to talk about race with white people is because it ends up being about the white person. It ends up being about how difficult it is for you, which is why I, I think Becca brought it up last week. I don't like when white people tell me I'm trying or I'm learning or I'm so sorry, I'm never going to get this. It's like, it's not that hard. If I can get it, why can't you get it? Right? Like don't, don't apologize for doing the work. You can say, I don't know this without making it about how, how hard it is for you and how you're trying so hard and you just don't know where and you're so overwhelmed. Like imagine how overwhelming it is to be in a world where everywhere you go, you see whiteness as the standard, right? Like imagine how hard it is to do the work that black people do every day unconsciously, right? Like everywhere I go, I notice I notice these things. I see these things. And just because you don't see them and you don't understand them doesn't mean that they're not there. So when someone points to it, don't just say, well, I didn't know. It's not my fault, right? Like if you're going to ask us to do the work, you've got to be willing to humble yourself in front of that work. So that's another thing that I would say. And then also, we've been trying to tell you guys, right? Like black people have been trying to tell white people about racism. Like, I don't know if you guys, we're all adults. We all remember Trayvon Martin, right? Like, this happened before. This George Floyd thing isn't new. There, it's not new that ed the education system is totally unequal, right? Like it's not new that there are poor neighborhoods, which really means black, right? Or brown. And it's not new that a white woman is getting paid more than a black woman, right? Like none of this stuff is new. So when people act like I didn't know, or they say, how can I that's offensive to people of color because it feels like you're not even trying. You're not even listening to us, right? Um, and so I think that that's where a lot of that frustration comes. I saw that post in the Lady Gang group and I saw people being like, Jack, come on, man, like do better. And I think they're a hundred percent right because, <laughs> right, right. Of course you, I mean, you didn't know and now you recognize it, but like that's where that comes from. So if you're going to a black person, make it a person that you know, make it a person that you trust, and make sure that you've done as much of the work as humanly possible before you go to the table, because even at that point, you're probably going to know less than the person you're going to, right? So like, 
try, try to do the work so you make it easy on me, right? Because then I'll have the conversation. Um, and if you don't know Black people, right? Like if you're like, I don't have a Black person that I trust, I have two things to offer you. One is, well, I guess three things. The first thing is that that's completely unacceptable, period, point blank. Um, you got you to gotta get out of your comfort zone. You got to find someone. Maybe, you know, like Kelty was saying, she's, was from, she's from Northern Canada. There weren't a lot of Black people. So maybe in your case, it's a First Nation person. But like, you've got to do the work to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe where you are, there aren't a lot of Black people. Maybe it's um, a Korean person, you know, but like finding people and, and building those relationships and humbling yourself and not just to like tokenize someone, but to really you know, get to know people. Um, but if you are still working on building those relationships, the other things that I would say to you is find a white person in your life who you trust, who you can be honest with, who can be honest with you and sit down and start reading through these books together and having conversations and going to each other in these moments of, okay, this thing happened. Someone told me I was being racist. I'm so freaked out. It totally fucked me up. Can you talk through this with me? before I respond? Can you help me right now? Because I'm emotional and it hurt my feelings, right? And that's okay. It can hurt your feelings. That's totally allowed. Let it hurt your feelings. Let the stuff be real for you. But don't take that back to the black person. Sit with that. Talk to your white friend who will tell you, Becca, that is not, yeah, you fucked up there. Like, and this is why, right? Remember when we read that part of white fragility, you're doing that thing. And then you can come back to the person, right? Like that there is a lot of work. That's what we mean when we say you've got to do the work. It's not just reading the book. It's reading the book. It's having the conversation. It's implementing what you've learned. And then it's still turning it into actionable items or actionable conversations. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. And Tracy, I was going to say when you brought up the Trayvon Martin thing um, and and the fact that, you know, we go back and, and the list is endless, right? Of these times that this has happened and that there's been a media spiral of one week and then it's forgotten until the next thing. And I think what makes it different for now is in addition to us all being like in COVID, like really separated and not having all the distractions, Mm -hmm. you've had to really sit with yourself. But I'll say for me, when I saw Trayvon Martin, it almost in a way you say, that is awful. These racist people must be stopped. Who would ever shoot someone? Like who, mm-hmm. how would this ever happen? But uh, along the lines of what it said in the book, you kind of just lean into your whiteness. Like I'm not a racist. Right. And you were just like, this isn't my, you know, this is for the, the people that I see being racist that are in the KKK, the extremes. And of, the extremes. And you think, you know, and I think there's, I don't know what the feeling is and I don't know the answer. Um, but during this time, and I don't know if it's because of COVID that we're all hyper-focused, but I feel like there is some sort of reckoning happening where for me, for the first time in my life, I'm realizing that everyone is racist and we have to work. And it's not enough to just be like, I'm not the kind of person that would shoot a black person. Like that's not enough. And almost having these conversations that are uncomfortable and hard is making me realize that, that it's giving you permission to lean into the ways that you've fucked up in the past yeah, and to make them right, you know? And, um, 
I'm really thankful to the black community for probably being like, go fuck yourself. You're 38 years old, you know, like, but I am actually, I am thankful to the community because I don't know why this is the moment in time that this is happening for me and so many others, but I'm, I'm so glad it's happening. And I'm glad that there's people like you and other people that are not just being like, get with the fucking program. We've been at this our whole lives. Like I do appreciate that you're like, Hey, I will come on your podcast. I will read this book that came out three years ago that you should have been into three years ago. You know, there's, so I I think also Kelsey to that point, like, um, I think it's worth saying, like, I have committed myself to doing this work, right? Like through the podcast, like I've said that this is a place like, you know, I have core values for the podcast and, and it involves like curiosity and it involves, you know, uplift and involves a lot of these things that, that when this happened, I had a reckoning with myself, which was, either I can say, fuck you, do it on your own, or I can practice what I've been trying to preach, which is like, I'm happy to do this work with you, but we're going to do it on my terms, right? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to change who I am and change this space that I've created that is pretty black. Like my podcast is pretty black. I have white people on a lot. I have Asian people. I have on all sorts of people on the podcast and we talk about things, but like the lens is through this social justice lens, right? And so that's the work that I've committed to doing, but not every black person has committed to doing that work, right? And so if you find someone like a Rachel Cargill, who, if you're not following her yet on, on Instagram, she's phenomenal and she's doing that work. And like, I look to her, um, someone like I mentioned before, Ibram Kendi, one of my personal heroes. Um, if you, if you're going to some everyday person in your life, like they might not have the time for that and that might not be their bag. Right. And not every black person knows all the same stuff and is the same level of anti-racist as, as someone like Ibram Kendi, right? Like we're all working towards this thing. We talked about the continuum. Um, But just like being really cognizant of like, you might be curious about this, but doesn't mean that the person you're going to has the time or energy to do that with you. Okay, yeah. I think that that's all like reasonable. Becca, I think you said you had a question too about about like uh, things that people have done? Oh, it was sort of similar to Jack's. Um, just just having this brand and being three white women and and making this this statement when all of this started to happen that we were gonna do better and that we wanted to commit to changing, changing the way that we operated our business. And it's similar to what you were saying. It's not we can't choose how we we receive this feedback. So right. I go to a place where, you know, we've been laser focused on figuring out the best way to represent and serve and and support our black lady gang community. But we also aren't doing it perfectly and we are going to continue to screw up and we're going to continue to get feedback and we can't go to that place of this is just too hard. Fuck it. You know, like we're never going to get it right. And and unfortunately, it's so embarrassing to admit that occasionally I slip into that of being like discouraged. And what I have to say to myself is this is part of my white privilege and being uncomfortable with racial stress. And so much of our lives, we've been isolated from it. And yeah, that's what I've been totally guilty of and, and working on so, so actively during this process. I think too, like saying that we're, we sometimes slip into that is being, uh, 
it's like a euphemism. I feel like we, by default, slip into that defensiveness. Right. Like it happened this morning with something where it's like, that's our default. If somebody is questioning our intention of us trying to better ourselves in that space. And I think that is something that us three, especially within this brand need to actively work on because yeah. our brains just automatically go there. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, here's an example. Um, I'm not going to use names. So I don't know names, but this is, you guys have a Facebook group and I saw something in the Facebook group that, is it okay if I talk about it? Of course. It's not names. Okay. It's not names or anything, but I saw someone in the Facebook group talking about how she had purchased your guys's book kind of, and it came out June 2nd, which is like right in the middle of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she took the day off or something and she was reading the book and posted about it. And people got mad at her for posting about the book kind of in the middle of all of this that's going on. And she went to the Facebook group and she was like, am I wrong? Did I do something wrong? And a lot of white women immediately commented, no, do you, people are so sensitive, whatever, whatever. Right. And like that, I did not comment back because I don't comment really in that group, like unless I'm just leaving like a link to the podcast, or whatever, like I, I can't do it. But I also noticed that no, um, not very many or very few, I don't think I saw any black women commented. And I think that what happened there is a form of white fragility, right? Because she went in there and she was looking for comfort. Yep. She went in there looking for comfort and what she got was that comfort and nobody was critical of her and nobody said to her, yeah, that is kind of insensitive actually. Like maybe you shouldn't be posting about it or you can feel free to read what you want, but right now is not a great time to muddy what's going on in this greater movement if you're about the movement. Right? right. If you're about the movement, not everybody's about this movement and that's okay too. But then you can't be posting your black square and saying hashtag black lives matter. If you're willing to go to bat for your ability to read a book about self-help and lady gang stuff, no offense, but like, that's just not this right now. Right? Like that's not this moment. And so everyone who commented to her and said, don't worry, don't worry. It's fine. People are so sensitive. They diminished the work that people are doing. And they made that Facebook group a hostile place for any black woman or man that's in that group, right? Like I felt uncomfortable because I thought I should comment. I should just tell her that she's wrong. And then I was like, I actually don't want all these women to respond to me. And so I let her do something that I thought was harmful. Um, And you'll hear this phrase, and I know people take umbrage to it, but you'll hear this phrase. People, black people will often say a violence, like that was a violence to me. Like it was a violent act against me. And that was a, I felt like that was a violence to me, right? Like that if I were to comment, I would be inundated with these things. Um, and Robin D'Angelo talks about the weaponization of whiteness a lot. And so we're often very comfortable with saying things that are use violent rhetoric when it's about white people. Um, she uses an example of the woman who was saying that she was going to literally have a heart attack from the feedback that she got, or um, everybody's ambushing me, or people are are piling on me, or people are attacking me, right? Like all of this language that's a violent language. We're very comfortable with hearing that when it pertains to white people, specifically white women. But when a Black person uses a phrase like a violence or a violent act, I have to do all this back talking to explain it, right? Like I'm feeling like I have to explain what I'm trying to say right now because I know that people are going have a reaction to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this post is a great example of like, if you want to be doing this work, right? And that's a choice. If you want to make that choice, then you have to choose to do that work every time you see it. So if you're commenting on that post, 
if you see that post as a white person, you have to comment, even if it's the unpopular opinion, because chances are, if you take this first step and you're that first brave person, there's going to be 50 other women who agree with you. Right. And then maybe you can start a dialogue or not, but allowing for that woman to post what she posted and allowing for people to say, yeah, it's totally fine. This is great. Like take your day off, enjoy your sangria and like read your book. That's not doing the work. Right. That's actively avoiding it. And I'll piggyback onto that with another mistake that I would have made if I saw this. My previous self would have seen that and been like, as a white woman, it's not my business to say if that was right or wrong. Correct. And that in itself is a problem. Um, and I think a lot of us have been trained that way to, you think that like, like white progressives, you think that you're not part of the problem. And, you know, by saying things along the lines of, I don't, I'll never understand what that's like. So I can't step in and give my opinion or my advice or whatever. It's like, no, actually you quite the opposite. You do need to step in. It's your responsibility to tell this other white woman why what she did is a problem. Right. And when you push back, something that is so common, and this is happening in the book space that I'm in right now, is a lot of white women who have these accounts that post about books have been very upset about what's going on. And they think that now Bookstagram is what we call it, is not a quote unquote safe space. Mm-hmm. It's not safe for them. They're not having fun anymore. They don't like it anymore. Right. Uh, I don't feel comfortable here. It's not what it used to be. They're using all these euphemisms for all of a sudden, I'm no longer the center of attention. I can't just do or say what I want. I can't just post 50 books by white authors without someone questioning me. Right. And that that too is a form of white fragility because you're saying, Uh, the status quo is being interrupted and I don't like it. And so a lot of women are like, I'm going to take a break from this space. And my response to that is good. Bye. Don't come back. (laughs) And also let me quickly unfollow you because I don't need this person. Like now I've seen you. And that's the best part of this moment for me is I am seeing people fully for where, who they are and where they stand on these issues. And let that be a lesson to every single white person listening Your black and brown friends may not say anything to you, but how you're acting in this moment, how you're behaving, what you are and aren't posting, where you are and aren't donating, when you are and aren't showing up for people and things, we might not ever call you on it, but we see you a thousand percent. And chances are we already had a feeling, but now you've just shown your whole ass, which is, you know, like you're, you're exposed in a major way. So be careful because... Sometimes when you think you're saying nothing because you don't want to get in trouble, I'm way more fired up about what you're doing than the person who accidentally did a thing that was like not great, but like, I got it. I get it. You know? So I I think that that's important too. Like by sitting off on the sideline, you're saying I'm okay with the way things are and I'm unwilling to get uncomfortable because I don't want to quote unquote get in trouble. And honestly, you're not going to get in trouble. Like for most people, the stakes are so low. You don't have a podcast. You don't have a following. You're not on television. You're not in the public eye. You have 400 followers. You have 200 followers. You have a thousand followers, but like your stakes are so low. So a stranger thinks you have a little bit of some, you got a little racist thing going on when it comes to X, Y, and Z, right? But like, okay. Right. Well, and like the ability to, like you said, like take a break or, you know, turn off Instagram or kind of walk away. It's like, that's our privilege speaking in itself where a, a black person or a person of color can't just take a break from experiencing racism in their everyday lives. So us, that small act where it's like, I just got to like turn it off. It's like, must be nice for, yeah. Yeah. as you're looking at us being little bitches. 
Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. girls right now, some white women are probably like, oh, I need a getaway. Yeah. <laughs> so literally maybe listening to this podcast where it's like, oh, this is like, this is not what I was like expecting from the lady gang yeah. or something. Yeah. Where, if you're like, those... I thought they were going to talk about this part of the book and they're, ta- you know, like you, none of this can be on your terms. No. That's, I think what's really hard for white people. This work is not on your terms, right? Like you had a chance, you've had 400 plus years of slavery. You had a hundred years of uh, reconstruction or reconstruction to Jim Crow, then you had Jim Crow. Like you've had all of this time. And so now you squandered your time on some racist bullshit and now like pass the mic, right? Like now it's other people's turn. And I know that's hard because you feel entitled to your space. And I know even hearing me say the word entitled, you are having a reaction because you're not entitled. You're not entitled. You've had struggles too, right? Like you, you had to take out a loan to go to college too. You had to take a second job because you, you know, like all of these things. Sure, sure, sure. I get it. But you also didn't have to deal with the fact that you were black on top of it. Right. And so Um, Tracy, what does the, I mean, it's too early to talk about the future, but I've been thinking about this for the next, you know, lifetime of mine. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've had this moment that has really shook me and that I am absolutely, as you say, like committed to changing the way I do everything in my life to Mm -hmm. be better. Right. Mm -hmm. But at some point I'm going to want to talk about what is on the cover of Us Weekly with the lady gang and it's going to be vapid and stupid and bitchy and basic and like, I'm really grappling with is that going backwards. Like, I just don't no. know. No, 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 no. I think that you have to kind of look at what it is that you're seeing though through these new eyes, right? So like, I talk about stuff that's stupid all the time, right? Like I talk, I, I'm having conversations that are about race and like big picture things that are, you know, monumental movements in, in the moment, right? But I'm also talking about like, like I thought it was really great that uh, Sesame Street did a thing and Elmo's dad was wearing a bowling shirt. Like that shit was funny to me, right? Like, and like, that's not a big deal. But like, of course, we all are noticing these things and we're having these moments. But I think if you're going to be looking at the cover of Us Weekly, Kelty, now you got to look at it and say, how come I haven't seen a black person on the cover except for when it's Meghan Markle and they're talking bad about her, Right. right? Like, and, and you have to then say, you know, like, oh, look at these great shoes in Us Weekly. But also this is the third week that they haven't had a person of color in the who wore it better section. Or like, why is it always the person of color is never the one who wore it better, right? Like, and you don't have to call it out every time, but you acknowledging it so that you're armed with this information so that if you do sit down with someone and they do start saying something that's like wild and out of pocket about, you know, like a microaggression or whatever it is, that you can stand firmly in the work that you've been doing. Because everything around us in this country it has a relationship to race, every single thing. And if you don't like it, that's okay, but it's true. Mm-hmm. So anything that you're doing, you can look at through that lens, right? You don't have to. I don't look at everything through the lens of race, but I, if I need to turn that on, it's like, I have my like Google glasses, like mm-hmm. let me turn on my race glasses. Like, let me, let me analyze this in another way. Just like we can do the same thing for sex, right? Like for sexism. Um, I think in the book, she makes a great point where she says, 
you know, people always say, I can't see, I don't see color. I don't see color. We all have to treat each other equally and it will all be fine. Nobody says that about sexism. Nobody says, oh, I don't see gender. I don't see sex, right? Like I'm, I don't say, you know, I'm guilty of it. Like I reinforce gender norms when I talk about my husband instead of my partner, right? Like that's a thing that I do. I still do it. I still, but I, I know that I'm doing it, right? Like I know that there's a wage gap between men and women and I feel comfortable talking about that. When I start to talk about the wage gap between black women and white women, people start to turn off, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not about not doing the things that you like. It's not about not reading the Lady Gang book or not drinking sangria and posting about it, but it's about acknowledging that those things are two political acts in some ways. Those two are racial acts in some ways um, and how much you want to engage with it. When I go on vacation, I'm not posting pictures of me, you know, with a black power fist, but like, I, I'm aware that I have a privilege being American and being wealthy and like being able to travel to other countries. And then I also am thinking about where am I going to go? Because some countries are super fucking racist, right? And like, you yeah. probably never think about that. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you don't think about going to Italy and thinking, hmm. But when I got to Italy, I was like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. Or when I went to South Africa, right? Like being a black American, there's a whole different racial hierarchy there. And I was thinking about that constantly while I was there. Yeah. And I'm sure if you went there, you thought Cape Town's beautiful and Cape Town is beautiful, but like, why are there no black people in Cape Town at the beach? Right? Like that's something, you know, so like there's this lens constantly, constantly, constantly that you can kind of put in and out of focus. And that is part of doing the work. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, 
you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Another thing that I think... Um this is really hard. Okay. This one is, this one is hard. I'm just warning you guys. Okay. I'm just, we're ready. <laughs> giving you a heads up. Another way that white people are, are fucking up a little bit is this need to show the work. Yeah. Right. You have to do the work on your own in the privacy of your home with maybe your spouse, maybe your kid, whoever, maybe you'll by yourself. And then you have to be okay with not virtue signaling that you've done the work. And there's a, another part of this, right? That is, you also have to know when to go public with the work that you've done, right? Like there's a balance between your platform and your personal and figuring that out, right? So like, let's say some, like, here's an example. I'll keep it short, but there, I had some drama with book of the month, this book club. Okay. They treated me poorly. They treated me poorly. They silenced me. It was very, very bad. I called out to my allies after I explained what happened. And I said, where are my allies at? That was a call to action to these quote unquote white people who say that they're about the work. The people then followed through. They, they, did, the, they did their job. They amplified my voice. They helped me out. I don't consider that to be virtue, signal, virtue signaling because I asked for it. However, there are people that I have seen since who have posted things about this book of the month drama, and they have posted, I was going to cancel my membership, but then I felt like womp, 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 and they tagged me, right? So they brought this thing that was like, I think it was fun for some people to see book of the month get dragged a little bit, but like it was harmful to me and it really hurt me. And like, I, I cried over it. Like it was hard on me. So like, there is a difference between being an ally and supporting someone and lifting someone up when they ask versus taking this moment and turning it into something about you. So you need to check what you're doing when you're doing the work, right? Are you doing it so that you get credit? Are you posting a picture of a donation you made so that people know you made the donation? Or are you posting a picture of a donation you made and saying, hey, lady gang people, I donated $50 to this organization. Who will match me? Mm-hmm. Share your match, right? Like that the... the you know, or going to a black person and saying, I told my racist uncle, he can't say darky anymore. Like that's just showing the work, right? Like that's just, you want credit for that. That's centering your whiteness. Right. So this is really, yeah, this is, this is, I'm so glad you brought this up, Tracy, because this is absolutely something that I think all three of us are struggling with within our brand. Because here's the thing, we have had all the conversations, you know, that are happening and have decided what to do. And I'm someone who, you know, I've just been taking sort of taking this time and absolutely doing the work on my own. And I don't feel like I need to tell everyone where I donated and all of those things. But then people come after me and say, you're not doing enough. Why aren't you doing something? It's such a struggle because it's like, we are absolutely doing the work in Lady Gang. I believe that full heartedly. And I can tell everyone that, but you might not see it in a guest in 
for three weeks because right. we have a business and we, we've already recorded this thing. Right. You might, we're putting together all these initiatives that we have 10 plus initiatives that we are going to put into place over the next year, but we can't do it all in one day. And right. it feels also really fucked up to be like, okay, cool. So since this happened on Tuesday, by Thursday, here's all the shit we're going to do. And then it just drops off. Like we really are committed to making these changes, but it's not going to happen overnight. And then all of these people are like, you said you were going to be better. You're not better. Well, right. not yet. I'm, it's coming like calm, you know, I don't know. Right. But so Kelty, you're having a white fragility moment right now, right? I like am. this is about how you feel about all of this pushback and you have to be okay in right. your Keltiness. You have to know that you have a plan, right? That you're driving right. towards a thing, right? And so if someone slides into your DMs and they start saying this to you, you can say to them, you can respond back and you can say like, look, we're working on this initiative. I can't give you the details, but please give me, give me a week. Yeah. This thing, we're going to start rolling something out in a week from now. And if you, if you don't feel like it's enough, you know, there's more, we're working on these 10 things and and I don't want to take it public until it's ready. And I'm sorry that you feel this way. And I hear you and I see you and I'm doing what I can. Right. And it doesn't have to be that you're a bad person and that you guys aren't doing enough. It just, you might just have to remind people of the timeline. Right. And that's, that's a fair way to respond. Yeah. Um, And then I think when you're ready, you publicly say it. Right. Right. And I think, you know, this conversation that we're having about like publicly talking about these things is very unique to us. Right. Right. Because we have have this platform. Right, 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 right. But it's also true with people who don't necessarily have a platform or don't use social media in that way. You use social media to post your kids. Like that's fine too. But just acknowledging that, that the black and brown people around you, we see you. Right. Right. Like we see you, um, something, I can't remember who said it. Uh, it's true. Certainly for black people of white people, but black people know white people better than white people know themselves. Just as I would argue that women know men better than men know themselves. Just as I would argue that queer people know straight people better than they know themselves, right? If you are oppressed by something, you understand how it works a lot better than the person who's doing the work because you're socialized not to see the thing that's oppressing other people. You're socialized not to be part of that. So, So we see you even if you don't have a platform. Even if it's at a dinner party and someone brings up something, you say, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Let's not talk about race. Like, okay. That's not a nice privilege you have right there. That must yeah. be fun. That must be fun that you can just tell me what we can talk about at the dinner table, even though you're talking about my existence as a person. So I think, Kelty, like, yes, you can take your time to do these things. And I think that that's okay. But I do think that people are also trying to demand accountability right now, which we've never had before. So right. also giving people the benefit of the doubt that they're just wanting to see these things because a lot of black people are used to getting this lip service. And so right now right. we're in a place where like there is some power to our voice and we want to make sure that we're flexing this power because I mean, I think about, the, I've been working so hard these last few days because I'm like, I don't want to squander this moment. I don't, I don't want to, sure. I don't want to take too long and then no one cares about me again. Right. Right. It's like so the like, media cycle of like, it's been a week and now there's something else to focus on. Right. Exactly. A hundred percent. I hear yeah. that. So one of the things that I think we have to talk about that is so huge and would be just terrible not to mention is how to apologize, Very right? Important. Because if we're all sitting here saying we're learning, we're doing the work, myself included, we're going to fuck up, right? Yeah, yes. So here's one way you can apologize. And this is going to sound crazy and maybe possibly even revolutionary, but here's one way. I am so sorry. That's one way you can apologize. It depends on what you've done, mm-hmm. Right. I posted a picture where I had my feet on some books and it was brought to my attention that in some cultures that's offensive. Mm. Okay. There are a lot of things in some cultures that are offensive. I did not know that. So my response was, I did not know this. I'm sorry. 
because that was my truth. I wasn't going to take the picture down. I wasn't because for me, I thought about it. I weighed it. I thought, you know, like, does that mean I'm going to take down a picture if I do thumbs up, right? Like where, what is the line for me? And so I won't post another one like that. Right. I, I recognize that I won't, but saying I'm sorry. Right. And like, just, I meant it. I do mean it. I'm sorry. I did not know that. Like that is news to me and I'm sorry. If you've done something worse, if you've done something offensive to a person and it maybe was person to person intentional, something you said something wrong, someone brings it to your attention in the book, Robin D'Angelo fucking kills it with the way she talks about herself and a mistake that she made. Um, This part of the book is to me, it's what stuck with me after my first read. When I read it again last night, I read it about three times. It sticks with you. It's basically three parts. Part one, do the work on your own. Someone brings this thing to you. They say, Becca, what you said was racist. You offended Tracy by what you said. You, Becca, you go, you go to Jack, you say, okay, Tracy's mad at me about this. What could be the different things that I did that hurt Tracy's feelings? And Jack says to you, oh, you're missing one. Mm-hmm. That also, and then you sit there and you, you have all your feelings of your ego and your fragility. And you say, I didn't mean to do that. She misinterpreted me. You can have all those feelings, rage at Jack all you want. Go in on her. She's your friend. She's there to hold you accountable, right? We are building those relationships with the white people in our lives so that we can have these conversations and they can know that you're quote, not racist, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's your not racist moment. After you feel good, you've worked out a plan with Jack. You said, okay, these are the places I fucked up. Then you come to me and you say, I'd really like to talk about this thing that happened, right? You ask me, is it okay to talk about this thing that happened? You get my permission. You don't come to me and just dump your shit on me, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm someone that you care about and I'm your friend and we're trying to repair a relationship, right? This is, this is person to person. This isn't about your platform. This is about you and me, right? So you come to me with that humility. You ask for my permission. It's important that you are asking people for permission. This is about consent also, right? It's not about absolving you. It's about fixing something between us. Once we sit down, you tell me why you're sorry. You tell me that you're sorry and you tell me why. You don't tell me that wasn't your intention, because we talked about this. It's, an, it's impact over intention. I actually don't care what you meant to do. What you did hurt me deeply, right? It hurt me enough to bring it to you. Mm-hmm. Once you've said what you've had to say, you know, you open up the floor, but the things that you need to be saying in this apology are, I'm sorry for doing X, Y, and Z to you. It's not enough in some of these moments just to say, I'm sorry. You have to say, I'm sorry for, like Kelty said, I'm sorry last episode. I'm sorry that I tried to push you away from reading the books that you wanted to read. I'm sorry that I tried to put pressure on you and make you do something that you didn't feel comfortable with, right? That's a great apology because you're acknowledging what you've done. Kelty didn't say, I didn't mean to do that. She said, I'm sorry for what I did, right? Action, impact, not intention. At the end of it, once you feel like you've said what you need to say, and this is the thing that really rocked my world when I read it and when I listened to it. And and she said, is there anything else you need to say or hear so that we can repair this relationship? Is there anything else you need to say or hear that can help us to repair this relationship? And that to me is the key of the work, right? I might've missed something. Even after you and Becca and Jack talked for eight hours about this whole thing, two different days, you guys sat down, you hashed it out. You said, oh, boom, boom, boom. She's going to hit me with this. I'm going to hit her with that. I did that, right? You guys go through the whole shit. You still might've missed a thing, right? In this example, she, Robin D'Angelo understood the whole dreadlock hair conversation, but she completely missed the part about dismissing this woman's life work. 
right? And so when she offers that, when she humbles herself to the fact that even though I'm deeply sorry for what I did do and what I acknowledge that I did, I maybe have missed something. Or in another case, it might just be that I want to yell at you for a second, Becca, and you have to just sit there and take it. And that's what I need to say to be okay with it. Or maybe I turn to you and I say, I hear your apology, but I need to hear you say what you're going to do better, right? And so that you're opening up the floor to repair the relationship. And that is true, not just when we talk about apologies for race, we talk about apologies for anything. You've got to discharge all your bullshit. You've got to humble yourself to the work that's in front of you. You have to say sorry for what it is you did, be specific, and then you have to open the floor to take in anything else. When you've done those things, then you can repair the relationship. And I guarantee you a lot of the things that people get upset about, Black people, myself, if you just apologized appropriately, I would forget it by tomorrow. I would be able to move on. It's when you start to make it about you and try to turn the shit on me where it's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to make this comment about dreadlocks about me because now I'm mad, right? You've now pissed me off when you were trying to do a nice thing right? You, you were being nice. You were apologizing for something you didn't even think you did wrong. Like if you're coming at it with that attitude, you got to go back and discharge some more with Jack. Does that make sense? Is that, is that clear? Oh yeah. And I also, it reminded me of a moment in the book where she says that, um, racism is complex and I don't have to understand every nuance of the feedback to validate the feedback. And I think that white people, myself included, we'll never understand every nuance. right? And just because we don't, quote, get it, doesn't mean that it doesn't validate the pain that we have caused and the thing, the damage that we did. Right, right, right. And if someone is explaining to you what's happened, it's your job to listen, mm-hmm. right? It's your job mm-hmm. to try to hear it and to understand it. And, and not to then say, wait, I don't get this. And can you explain that more? That's when you, after the apology thing, you got to go back to Jack and say, this is what she said. Help me with this. Right. Right. Like, that yeah. is doing the work. Yeah. And it's a lot of work, man. It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, we would have dismantled this shit years ago. If it was easy, we wouldn't be having these conversations every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, something else that I know Becca had brought to me before that she wanted to talk about, and I think it's important is parents, um, and how you can be a parent who's raising anti-racist children. Um, I think that that's the goal, right? Like that we're teaching our kids and we're not teaching our kids to not see color. We're not teaching our kids that everyone is equal. That is harmful. Okay. We're not all equal actually. Like we're not white people have had a lot of fucking privilege. They've got a lot of access to things. Their schools are better. Their teachers are more attentive to them. Um, For a lot of black kids, you'll hear that it wasn't until they had a black teacher, which is often in college, that they were ever given attention or advancement. You'll also hear a lot of kids who do have black teachers young are often put into gifted programs when like uh, the year that they have that teacher right? That white teachers aren't recognizing that in black people. So like there's a lot of inequality in, in the education system. There are tons of books. Eve Ewing has a great book called Ghosts in the Schoolyard. Check it out. Um, but what I will say, if you want, these are some tips that I think I'm a new parent. I haven't started doing this work with my kids, obviously, because they're not even six months yet, but I've been raised in this work, right? So here are a few things. One thing is teach your kids that we are not equal, that we are the same genetically, we are the same, humans are the same, but that we face different systems and different inequalities, right? Like you've got to teach your kids that there's a reason 
there's a reason that other kids maybe don't have what you have. And it has to do with the color of their skin and that that is not fair and that is not right, but it is real, right? That's the first thing. You got to just acknowledge the shit that's going on. Kids are smart, right? Kids know, you know better as a kid, you know that shit's not right. But if your parents are gaslighting you from the age of three about it, then you're going to think that you're entitled to something that you really aren't. Okay. So that's my first thing. My second thing is read them books with kids that don't look like them. There are a ton of authors who are black, brown, and otherwise who are writing books. And what happens is parents only read those books to their kids if those kids in the books look like their kids, right? So one of my favorite authors for young people, he writes young adult books. His name is Jason Reynolds. He's incredible. He writes books about black and brown kids, but those aren't books only for black and brown kids. He's just writing about about black and brown kids. I read James and the Giant Peach as a kid. I'm not a little white boy, right? Like, so you've got to buy these books and fill your shelves with them. Fill your shelves with them. That goes for little boys should be reading books about little girls, little black girls, little Native American girls, right? Little little gender nonconforming girls. Like you've got to be reinforcing this with your kid that these lives matter from a young age. When your kids get to school, you need to advocate for the curriculum. You want to be part of the PTA? It's not about just about bake sales, right? It's not just about funding. It's about textbooks. It's about what's being taught in school. It's about making sure that you know what your kids are being taught. Your kid comes home and says, mommy, did you know that there were good slave masters? And that's when you walk your ass right into the school and you say to the teacher, what the fuck did you teach my kid? And you get big mad and you make a big stink and you take it to the local newspaper and you call up someone that you know, who knows someone who maybe knew someone who once was a newscaster and you get big, you get big mad, right? Like that's your job as a parent is to advocate for your kids. You want your kid to know the most, to be the smartest. You don't want your kid just to get good grades on some bullshit. That doesn't do anything, right? Like that doesn't help your kid in life. So then your kid goes to college and finds out, oh my God, slavery was terrible. I'm 20 years old now and I didn't even know this shit. Like why was everybody lying to me? Because that's what a lot of adults are going through right now. I've been lied to. I've been lied to my whole life, right? Like, so don't let your kid be that. And then the last thing I'll say, and it kind of goes into that, like going to the school is if you find out that something was said to a little black girl in class about her hair by the teacher or by another student, right? Because your kids will come home and tell you. That's what everyone says. Kids know, they see, they come home, they tell you. You've got to go and advocate. You've got to call up that little black girl's mom and you've got to say, I just want to let you know, I heard this happened in school. I'm not sure if your daughter told you, but let, I, I would like to go with you to the school. I'd like to stand there with you and have this conversation with Ms. Jones, right? Like that is being an ally. That is being an advocate because a lot of the times the shame of racism against little black children, they won't say anything right? They think that they deserve it because children are conditioned to see race as little as like two and three. Like they, so they know they're not quote unquote beautiful, right? They're taught that from such a young age. So you, if you hear this as a parent, you've got to go in, you've got to get uncomfortable. You've got to do the work of being uncomfortable and being exposed in that way, because your kid is not only going to appreciate that you did it, but your kid is going to see it and they're going to learn to do that too right? So if that's the work, if you care about your kid's education and you care about raising anti-racist kids, it's not enough just to say to your kid, the civil rights movement happened and Martin Luther King was anti-violent. Like, fuck that noise. Then don't waste your breath. 
if that's the work that you want to do, then don't waste your breath because you're hurting your kid. You're hurting your kid and you're hurting your kid's kid and you're hurting everyone around your kid, right? So if you want to do the work, you go educate yourself and then you teach your kid everything you've learned and you get dirty and messy and you say, it's, can you imagine if we were slaves, someone could take you away from me, right? Like that's hard. That's hard, but it's true. And your kid will get it and they'll understand that that is hard and true and bad. So, I mean, I don't know if there's more specific questions and I'm sure people have them, but. I I had one just from the book. First of all, take me to church. <laughs> I hope all these parents are listening because that's the best I've ever heard it put yeah, into Yeah, that was words. incredible. So thank you. Um, but secondly, the thing that stuck out to me and I see it all the time is little kids say what they see. They, they have no filter and mm-hmm. they'll be in a grocery store line and they'll look at a man, a black man and point out his race or his skin color or, or something of that nature. And the parent will be embarrassed and try to cover it up right. or, you know, and, and kind of act as if, it's a shameful thing. Like it's something to be embarrassed about. And yeah. so in those moments, you know, I forget how do. she says to address it. I think it's, it's something to be very direct. Like, yes, that man has black skin and blah, blah, blah. Like the, everybody has a different color skin or, right. but is that sort of also the way, the way that you feel? I think so. I think that's what I would say. I mean, I think I might also say like, yeah, that man does have black skin and it, it, you know, it depends on the situation, but saying like, yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. Like he has the same color skin as, as your cousin. Right. right? Or like, yeah, he's, he's also black, like your cousin, but his skin's a little darker or his skin's Mm -hmm. a little lighter. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and that's true for like someone in a wheelchair. Yeah. That person is in a wheelchair. They, they maybe can't use their legs right now. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't have to be a shameful thing. It's just a true thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like just because someone's different, isn't necessarily bad. We're conditioned to think that, right? Like the difference is bad, but it's not. It's just different, right? You can be, you can be all the things and be someone different, right? Like Becca, you and I are different, but we are both like, you know, smart. We are both. Well, well that was a bad example. Yeah, that was a difference actually. <laughs> Let me switch. Uh, Jack, you and I are different, but we're both smart. I'm just kidding. That's um, a but yeah, I think, um, I think just acknowledging it, I think, you know, I think if it, I think also in those moments, if it comes up again, right? Like taking time at home to be like, I, I notice that you keep noticing people with different color skin, right? Like, mm-hmm. so there are people with different color skin. And then you can say, like, this is Lupita Nyongo. See, she has beautiful black skin. Like, she, like, she's a talented actress. She won an Academy Award. Like, you know, and then this is Becca Tobin. She's also a talented actress. She was on Glee, right? <laughs> that, that you can say, like, look, diff- people can look different and do these things, right? Kids, mm-hmm. kids get it. Kids are smart, man. Like, I've been shocked sometimes by the conversations I've been lucky enough to have with young people. Um, and I don't have nearly enough. And I think probably most of us don't have nearly enough conversations with kids, especially if they're not our own or they're our family, but kids get it and they take their cues from us. So if they're hearing you be uncomfortable, like doing that thing that white people do, that is one of my big pet peeves, which is like, oh, you know, Kamala Harris, she's in African-American woman. It's like, just say black, motherfucker. Just say black. She black. Like, I know that you would not say African-American if you weren't sitting down next to me, a black person, but like kids see that too, right? They know that you're supposed to switch it up and say African-American. Like, right. So I feel like just acknowledging it. Um, 
I feel like I only have one more point, but if you guys have any more questions or things before, there's anything else that we didn't get to. That was the only thing that I, you know, seeing it so much in my life, like all through life. Yeah. I think we've all seen it. I feel like we've all been there too. Like kids are curious too. They don't know. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to teach. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's up to your response to their innocent question. That's going to kind of dictate how they view that subject. Right. What you don't want to do is be like, yes, that's a black person. Do you want to go touch his hair? Like, (laughs) don't do that shit. You know, like we not zoo animals, right? Like we're people. Um, the last thing that I'll say, um, and, and this to me is very important because this is personal for me. Um, but for, for those of you who are starting to do the work and you are learning from people who are online in online spaces, doing this work, content creators, um, people on Instagram, people who have podcasts, people, um, on television, people who are opening, opening up themselves to help you do this work, black people, um, you've got to reward their work right? The way that this um, kind of like online economy works. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm learning about this myself. I had a conversation with Becca about this yesterday. Like I'm learning about this, but it matters that you subscribe to this podcast instead of just going and listening when there's an episode that interests you, right? It, I'm not saying you have to listen to every episode all the way through, but clicking subscribe, that actually means something for me. And it's a way for me to take all this work that I'm doing and present it to someone who will potentially give me money for my work right? Because podcasts don't just make money. Mm-hmm. They ha- I have to be able to present to them. This is how many people are listening, right? Um, there's a thing called Patreon. If you're not familiar with it, it's a way that you can send people money monthly, a monthly subscription. So a lot of podcasts have that. Someone like Rachel Cargill, she has um, a whole thing where you can pay for her class and it's monthly and you can find their Patreon. So if there's someone who's, work, who's doing a lot of work that you appreciate, you, know, you can sign in their DMs and say, do you have a Venmo or a cash app? Are you accepting money? Do you have a Patreon? What does that look like, right? It means liking their posts when you see them, commenting on their posts when you see them, sharing their posts when you really like them, when you feel them, right? It also means um, just boosting people, telling your friends, I heard this on the Stacks podcast. I think you might like it. Here's a link to it. You should subscribe, right? Like it's these tiny, tiny things. Not everybody can do Patreon. That's okay. That's okay. But what you can do for sure is follow my page and like my work, right? What you can do is go on your mom's phone and click subscribe on her phone because you know she'll like the podcast, but you know she doesn't know how to use the phone, right? Like if your mom's anything like my mom, if I want her to do something, I got to do it for her, right? I got to show her how to do it. And it takes 10 minutes and it's super fucking frustrating. Mom, I love you, but God damn. (laughs) But like you got to do it, right? Like you got to do the work. It means if there's an author who's writing a book that you like, and I know you guys have talked about this a lot, it means pre-ordering their next book. Mm -hmm right? It means saying, I'm putting money towards this person's work. It means when we can go back into the movie theaters, going to see movies with black people, right? It's putting your money where your mouth is because this country was built in addition to racism on capitalism. And those things are very Mm -hmm. much tied together. So using your money to inflict change on the system, to affect change in the system. You've got to put your money behind these things if you want to see a change. Because the truth is, if I don't have people liking my posts or commenting on my posts, I can't turn that into anything. I can't do anything with that, right? So just think about your power in the social media economy. Like you've really got power as an individual and really flexing that power. And it doesn't mean you can't also follow a white person who does the same shit. It doesn't mean you can't like the lady gang 
because you like my stuff, but it means you can do both, right? Like you have this power and we're conditioned to think that it doesn't matter, but it really, really, really matters. I mean, Kelty will tell you, she knows she's on that business side of a lot of this stuff. Like all three of you know how that works. Um, so just really, really buying black, right? Like going, buying a black, buying a book by a black author from a black owned bookstore. Mm-hmm. Instead of Amazon, I get it. Amazon, I don't ever want to shame anybody for using Amazon because I know it's hard and books are expensive. But if you can, maybe you just buy all your black books from a black bookstore and everything else you can get on Amazon. I don't know. It's your own negotiation, but just doing that, like supporting the work, it's so important. And I, and I don't ever want to tell anybody how to spend their money, but I just want you to know that it is meaningful if you were, if you were thinking it didn't matter. It ma- does matter immensely. Um, and I think that it's a, it's a issue of opportunity as well, because it's an issue of visibility. Um, and I think like I've, I've loved to watch Jack over the last few weeks because obviously, you know, Jack is into fashion and she's always posting home goods and fucking crop tops. And, (laughs) um, and you know, like she's gone, she's gone and found these different brands that are making these like really beautiful clothes that I would never know about because I live in an echo chamber of like the sameness. Right. And so it reminds me a little bit about the red carpets in Hollywood, Tracy, that there's like the same echo chamber of like these six major designers that if you're not wearing Gucci, you're nobody, but there's so many designers that would, it, it would change their lives to have someone walk down the Oscars red carpet in their gown just as beautiful, just as talented, but it's a visibility thing. And I think that that's one thing that actually makes me really excited about what you just said and is so actionable by us. You know, like I'm not always going to get the conversation right and I'm going to be now educating myself for my life, but I have the platform so we can use it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's been the easiest thing. And our platform is it's, yeah, it's fine. It's big, but it's not massive. You know, like I'm not the, we're not the biggest thing in the world. And so I just think what you're saying is so important. And I, I hear exactly what you're saying and it really is so important. And I think it's one of the ways that lady gang is really going to change moving forward is using our power for those things and reminding people, because we do have this amazing community that is very dedicated. And so it's the things of come listen to us on the stacks. We need to do more pod trades. We need to get more fans listening to you. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's true. Um, I, and in every episode, and I said this in the intro, but in every episode, I link to everything we talk about in the show notes. So if you're curious about the things that we've talked about, if you want to, to purchase any of the books we've talked about, I will link to them. I get a small commission from that. So if you like the show and you can purchase through that link, I'm happy to be transparent. I get a small commission and you know what? I feel like I deserve that shit. Like I work hard, right? (laughs) Like that's the thing. People are so worried about money. Like it's a bad thing, but like I'm hustling. I'm working hard. I do this show by myself, right? So it's like that little that little small commission, it's not going to change my life, but it does mean something. You know, if you can shop through my link, that's really helpful for me. If you can't shop through my link, that's fine too. I'm not doing this for that money, but I am hoping to turn this show, you know, like, so just thinking of being more intentional with that kind of stuff, right? Like it's yeah. so easy. And, and the, and as we said, intention over impact, the impact is massive, right? That tiny intention has a huge impact. Um, and I think that's true for all this work. I, I'll stop talking about this because I feel like it's not nearly as exciting well, as some of the can other I, stuff. Can I jump in really quick yeah. and just admit another time that I totally fucked up is when yeah. I was posting in Facebook about us reading this book, right? I posted about, you know, we're reading White Fragility. It's it's sold out everywhere, but by everywhere, I meant fucking Amazon. And mm. I didn't even think about checking independent bookstores and black owned bookstores and that... and 
on your um, affiliate links too. And I totally fucked up there just, and it wasn't my intention, obviously, but I didn't, I didn't put the work in to actually go out and look and see if it was available anywhere right. else. Right, right, because, right, And I yeah. didn't put my money where my mouth is because I got mine on Barnes and Noble right. and that was a mistake. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's all, all of these things are so little and so actionable and like, and, and we talked about this last week and I think we should end here, but um, these aren't value judgments on you as a person, right? These mistakes aren't value judgments. It doesn't make you a worse person because you bought something from Barnes Noble or Amazon, right? This good, bad binary is so toxic and so devastating to the work that we're trying to do. And it's as simple as just recognizing that just because you had a racist idea or a racist thought or you didn't do the right thing, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay if you're willing to do it better next time, right? Next time you buy a book, Jack, I guarantee you're going to think about that, right? You're going to think, let me go get this from, yeah, let me go get this from a different bookstore. Let me go support my local black owned bookstore here in LA, like SO on books, my favorite bookstore. Um, So the good, bad binary is bullshit. You've got to break it down. You've got to release yourself from its deadly claws because it's, it's strangling the work that people are doing. If you're so scared that you're going to be considered a bad person, whatever. And the truth is, I, I, I mean, I can't speak for every black person, but I can speak for me and a lot of my friends. I would much rather you say I did a racist thing than you gaslight me and pretend like you're not racist than pretend like the shit that you did wasn't racist. Because that pisses me off, right? Like that makes me mad. It makes me feel like you think I'm an idiot. You think I'm so dumb. I can't see what you've just done. So release that. If you come to me and you say this thing and I say that's racist and you say, holy fuck it is great. We can move right on. You don't even have to apologize, right? If you really see it, we can keep going. Let's keep going. We're fine. We're good. But it's when you stop and be like, that, nah, 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 right? So if you take nothing away from this entire two plus hours of conversation. It should be that you're not a bad person for having a racist thought and idea if you're willing to act on it to do a better job. I think it's that simple for me. Well, I want to say something to you, Tracy. I've known you now for 16 years. I am so proud. I've always been proud of you, but I am extremely proud of you. And I can say on behalf of the three of us, we would not have gotten through the last several weeks or even for me, 16 years without (laughs) your support and your guidance and your wisdom, which is just pouring and seeping out of every orifice in your body. (laughs) You're so intelligent. You're so beautiful. You have taken all this time and you don't, you don't have to. And so we acknowledge that. And I just want this podcast for you to be a fucking worldwide. Every (laughs) single person should be required to listen to it. So Thank you so much. Like thank we could so not much. be Thanks, Trace. more excited thank for your future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for putting me on your network and all that shit. Um, for everyone else, I will be back next Wednesday talking about a book called Savage Appetites. It's about true crime and women and obsession. And it's really, really good. It's by Rachel Monroe. Ooh. If you haven't read it yet, check it out. Jack, you'll really like it. Um, but that's next week. Every Wednesday I'm here. Every Wednesday I'm talking about books and stuff with people. Please come back and listen. Please check it out. I have over, I don't know, I think 150 episodes at this point. So there's an episode for you. There's a book for you. Not every episode is about a book, but check it out. Go back and listen to some of the older episodes. Um, I'm so glad for those of you who are new here that you're here for my OG Stacks people. You know, I fucking love you guys. I stand for you guys so hard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Lady Gang, for being here. And everybody else, we will see you in the Stacks.
Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Kelty, Jack, and Becca for being my guests. Be sure to listen to part one over on the Lady Gang feed. Thank you to Alex Ingberg for doing logistics for both of these interviews. Find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. And for more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and support the show, head over to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you got your podcasts and that you're listening through Apple Podcasts. Also, please leave the show a rating and a review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The show was created and produced by me, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>